Thank you, Jamie. Well, I have to say it uh, it's a little bit different and awkward to not actually be the host the one kicking off. That was a little weird to start learning tech talks, but actually out me kicking off. Thanks, Jamie, for that. Thanks, Mark, for joining me. How are you doing today? Very well. Thanks for having me. Where where are you, by the way? Uh, I am in Mersion's virtual studio at the moment, and I am sitting at my desk at my home office here, just uh, working away. Okay. Okay. Got it. Perfect. And where's where's home for you? San Francisco. Okay, you are in California. All right. Well, I'm I'm as always in in uh, in Wisconsin. For those of you who are tuning in, go ahead comment in. And those of you who are in Zoom, feel free to comment in. Just curious where people are joining from. I know we've got people from from all over the world who are here. Um, I'm really looking forward to our discussion today, Mark. I know we've been we've been spending some time planning this one, and it's really a twofold purpose. So for those of you who have seen the posts about this uh, leading up to this, we're talking about. Kind of tackling these uncomfortable situations that happen at work, and this is this is a very broad, broad topic at its core. The behavior of it, I think, is pretty universal. But the other thing, last time we talked, we didn't get a chance to do was actually take a look at Mersion's technology. So this time, I'm actually excited to be able to kind of share and and see how this works. I've been through it personally, but I know a lot of folks who are curious. They're they're curious how this works. So. That's kind of the flow of the conversation. Um, any any comments from you on on that one? You good with that? Yeah, absolutely. I'm really looking forward to. It. I mean, I you know, I, I would say, um, I think all of us are keenly aware um, about the sort of circumstances in the world around us and how what was important before the last three months and certainly the events of the last few weeks um, about the need of people in leadership roles in organizations to be able to have difficult conversations, which is very much at the heart of what Mersion does, um, and to foster um, a sense of empathy in, in themselves and in their colleagues to, to build functional teams. I mean, if ever we've had kind of a forcing function in the world, um, the sort of, you know, triple whammy of, it's really a quadruple whammy of a pandemic, a, a giant recession, this incredible sense of self-isolation that people have been asked to go through and now coupled with this urgency around race and the the ability to talk about race i mean there couldn't be a time that you know where, where it's more urgent that we all double down on on this kind of work and 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 try to build the kind of cultures that we think organizations need to be healthy yeah well, yeah, and, yeah, and I think yeah, the timing of this, of this is, there we go, extremely appropriate. So I think the timing the time is, good. is good. I think the topic is good. I think the conversation is going to be great because it is, you know, when we talked about this and even the planning of this, we wanted to be very careful about how we approach this because it was important that we were sensitive to what's going on. We didn't want to seem tone deaf while at the same time making sure we were tackling an important topic. So let's let's get into this a little bit because when we talked about what some of this stuff is, so we're not just talking about necessarily, you know, I think sometimes when we hear difficult conversations at work or things like that, I think that sometimes can bring a lot of different thoughts to mind. So some of the things we talked about was microaggressions, we talked about conflict. I think the big thing with that is 
when you think about the workplace, we're dealing with people. And the challenge with people is people are not always easy when it comes to how we interact with each other. So I'm curious you're tackling this a lot in a lot of different ways. Let's kind of demystify some of this stuff. So when we talk about conflict and difficult challenges, what does that mean for you to make sure we're both on the same page? Um, uh, well, it, it means a wide range of things, to be perfectly honest with you. I mean, <clears throat> as the leader of an organization, I can sort of speak to it as, um, as we wrestle with it. I, I, um, and, um, and as a purveyor of a service, I can sort of tell you a little bit about how I think our clients, um, yeah. uh, encounter this. So, um, and, and it does vary to some degree by domains. Um, but leaders of organizations, myself included, are expected to make um, employees feel safe about surfacing issues about um, the way they feel that they are treated at, at work, um, that they feel that their voice is heard, that their ability to contribute is maximized, that they are treated sort of with a level of fairness and equity that values their contribution. And there are just reams of research that suggest that um, organizations that pay close attention to this outperform others. I, I am reminded of Peter Drucker's book, That Culture Eats Strategy for Lunch, that, that, that concept has been around for a long, long time. And those of us who pride ourselves on having great business strategy can find ourselves wanting if we don't really attend to culture. And, and obviously, in order to build culture, you have to be wi willing and able to engage in conversations that are sometimes messy. That's, that's one big modality. We can talk more about how that plays out and where the issues are, but we we talk about this internally here at Mersion, and obviously our clients are talking about it all, all the time. Now, there are other people for whom difficult conversations are all about their interaction with a customer. Um, people who are in the mode of selling have difficult conversations all the time, and, and we support people who have to really develop an ear for listening and, and, and processing um, complaints that customers might have, whether they're frontline service workers or they're people selling products and services, that that authenticity really matters. Even even in a challenger sales model, being inauthentic isn't successful. Like you you, the authenticity really makes a difference. Yeah. And so, and the last area I'll just mention, we do a lot of work in education and in the medical sphere. And you know, doctors and nurses have often got to deliver bad news and they have to be in, in a position to deliver bad news in a way that is humane and responsive. Um, we could talk about the work we're doing and, and, and in the education sphere, attending to learners with special needs is a huge part of the uh, of the of the job and frontline educators are forever having to show a sort of sensitivity to those whose learning styles and capacities are different. And so, we're at the we're sort of at the fulcrum of all of those kinds of difficult kinds of exchanges, and they can be very different in kind. Okay. So, well, and I think what you're getting at is an important piece where a lot of times the tendency with difficult conversations is we we there's an avoidance to it, 
right? Like when things get uncomfortable, when things happen, the tendency is to either shut down or, and, and I post about this, either, either you shut down naturally or you, you overreact, right? Because you're not prepared. And so the emotional response kicks in and, and you go too far, which then actually redirects the focus from the actual thing that happened to right now your response. Yes. So how have you, I mean, obviously you're with Mersion for a reason, and this is a big focus of what you do. How, how are you using, you know, what you're, what you're doing to actually help address this? Yeah. So it's a really good question. The, um, I, I, so it, so let me see the right way to get at this. A lot of, first of all, people don't get a chance to practice difficult conversations. So if you just take that as in a safe place, let me add that corollary. So yep. many of us have been through the kind of <clears throat> experience in a training exercise with our colleagues where we do a role play. You and I are in some workshop, we're in front of all our colleagues, and I'm going to pretend to be an angry customer, and you're going to pretend to be a frontline service worker, and I'm going to sort of light into you, and you're going to calm me down. And because we're performing in front of our colleagues, I'm going to push ju you just enough to make you, to, to, to show everybody in the room that I'm taking the exercise seriously. And you're gonna respond in such a way that makes you look good. And, and because we're professionals and we're, we, we have an emotional connection, we're, I'm not gonna push you so hard to embarrass you because that would be being a jerk. Yep. And, you, and I'm, my goal is to make you look good. And, and, and we both go through the motions and privately we're kind of rolling our eyes. That is to the extent to which we get to practice this stuff in training, that's the way we do it. The great, what we try to do at Mersion is we, we take you into a safe place in private. We let you practice with an avatar and you'll see what that's like a little bit later. And we let the avatar kind of push your buttons a little bit so that if you're gonna fail, you fail. And, yeah. but you do it because we wanna trigger the emotional response, you said it very well. Like we, we're all flawed, we're all human. This is yep. not like us, there's no trick that we teach people. What we're trying to teach you to do is to keep your brain managing your emotion in stressful circumstances. We teach children this all the time, but as adults, we unlearn all that stuff. Yeah. And we need to kind of reactivate it and practice it so that when those stressful times come, our brain rules our heart and, um, and we do the right thing that the thing that we would intend to do, but emotion got the better of us. And the only way to do that, the science around this is kind of what we call multi exemplar training, which means I might do it with you one way, but I would do it very differently with, you know, a young woman and a, a child, a person of a different racial or ethnic background. Like, yeah. They're just they're different. It's we're human, really right? Our response is based on background, based on all these different things. Change the way we dynamic. We're dynamic. We aren't. We aren't a machine. That's right. That's right. That's yeah. exactly right. Well, and and the thing about this, and and part of you know one of the things that we've talked about, and, and we talked about last time that I think so often goes overlooked in learning and development is we we tend to focus a lot on content, right? Helping people get the requisite knowledge that they need to be able to do things, which. My perspective is there's nothing wrong with that. I think where we can go wrong with it is when we over-index on that and we don't give people, like you talked about, the opportunity to actually put these things into practice. Because especially when you think about having a difficult conversation, I know from, from early days of managing people, right? You're, you're going to have a difficult conversation with a direct report. 
you can read all the articles you want. You can watch all the YouTube videos you want. And then you have to sit across the desk from that person and have that difficult conversation. And it sometimes just goes poof, like it just vanishes. And the best place to have it vanish and completely fumble is not with the person, right? That's that's what we're talking about when we say, I think sometimes when people say safe place, they aren't exactly sure what that means. And it's like, right, it's in an environment where you're not going to cause any damage, where you can actually do that, you can practice. And I And I think the other piece you brought up from a role play part that's challenging with role play is, like you said, I can role play with you, Mark, I'm not necessarily being my my true authentic self because I know you're Mark. We know each other. That com- right? I'm not necessarily really feeling the heat and the pressure of I'm about to have this difficult conversation with people. And you know what's interesting about it? You know, Austin brought on the live stream. Austin brought this question up about knowledge does not automatically translate into be behavior change. It doesn't, it doesn't, you know, immediately just because you have this knowledge in your head does not mean you're going to bring that in. And I think this is where there's opportunity. You look at the military, I think is a good example. There's a reason they run training drills so many times is so that when shots start firing and you're under pressure, you know how to, how to, how to behave. And so are you, are you seeing organizations, how are they using this? Like, are they applying it? And we'll talk about some use case studies, but what usually is a trigger for an organization to say, we have this behavioral thing, we need to do something about it and throwing more content at people isn't enough. Well, so one of the first use cases was simply that on a, so, so many of the skills in a professional context are skills that are only demonstrated by your ability to perform on the job, which usually means the articulation of, you know, a a policy, a customer service approach, a sales strategy, a leadership technique. Um, And people have been sort of filling leaders and, and, and frontline workers heads with policies and procedures. And they have no idea in e-learning and they have no idea whether they can do it or not because yeah. they, they've never actually asked them or come up with a way of saying, can you practice or show me that you know how to do this at scale? Um, so uh, one of the first things that we ended up uh, find ourselves doing is adding simulations as a component of all kinds of existing trainings, just so folks can demonstrate that they actually know how to do the thing they got trained on doing. Um, And that can be uh, following a customer service protocol. It can be giving leadership development on how you give feedback to an employee. Um, If I'm a doctor, do, uh, do I know how to do an oral diagnostic? And can I actually tell when someone's lying to me and demonstrate that I know how to see through, you know, I'm the type two diabetes patient. And I am telling you while I'm sitting here, all 375 pounds that I only eat celery and you're like, and you're going for it because I'm a really persuasive guy. Like, how do we get through those kinds of things that are all too human in our life? And certainly in the current environment, like when I've got to break bad news about you can't see your grandmother in the nursing home while she's dying right now because of the health and safety risk, how do I have that conversation? So on that, because we're, when we talk about these behavioral pieces, the, the part that I think can be a little bit of an art and a science is getting to the root of, and it's a question that came through, and I think it's an appropriate one, which is, I think there are universal components of this behavioral stuff, right? If you deconstruct uh, a potentially 
uncomfortable situation where things can go south or where, where somebody says something and everybody's eyes shoot open, but they don't really know what to do. I think you could probably deconstruct. There is some universal stuff where you could say, okay, Hey, let's, let's make sure we, we address this at the same time, what you talked about, right? Talking as a healthcare worker to somebody who's not going to be able to see their, their grandparent in the nursing home is probably a little bit different than the conversation you're about to have with, with Billy, who just did something, you know, as an employee, the context is different. How do you find that? Or what have you all done to kind of strike that balance of, okay, yes, it's custom. We need to do some level of customization. Well, at the same time, not saying everything's unique. We have to, we have to redesign. And I've got a pretty strong perspective on this, but I'm curious how you manage that. So I'll tell you the things that matter. And um, for those of you seeing this in the Zoom room, like I'm in one of them now, like situational plausibility matters. In other words, so why do we have avatars? We have avatars because uh, not everybody you're having the conversation with looks like me. So I can't, I, I could be a child, I could be different race, ethnicity. The versatility of the technology allows you to create a, a, a a reasonably plausitive representation of the individual you might be having the conversation with. Why do we blend it with the human? Because a hu because at the end of the day, these are human skills and the, the way, and you'll be the judge of this when we do the demo, yeah. there has to be spontaneous, the facial expressions, the tone of voice, the gestures have to feel like the ones that you would have. And why do we drop them in a virtual world? Because if it's a hospital, like it, I shouldn't be on a stage somewhere or out in a field with you know flowers. I'm in a hospital. There should be some of that enough situational plausibility that the brain says this kind of feels like the conversations we have day to day. Now, to get to you, what's generic about it? What's generic about the way people do this is they interrupt one another. <laughs> don't listen to what the other person is saying. They, they, they constantly focus on what they want to say and don't actually hear what the other person is trying to say. Um, they become super agitated in their enthusiasm. They talk too loud. They, um, they become incomprehensible because of the urgency they feel about something. They don't take a breath and center like if you look at like we get lots of data on how these conversations okay. go and there's a lot of things that people do regardless of context that we see okay well and that's and that's the point i think that is important is that and this is in my opinion a big part of what our role in learning and development is to do when we run into these business challenges at work is not just to say right let's let's go full custom or let's go completely generic but to figure out what are those what are those universal components that we can focus on? Because they do span, they do span. And I think there's times where you need to go because that answers one of the questions where somebody had asked. So is this something where immersion is purely off the shelf or is it purely custom? And I think you know, my understanding from our conversations and just getting to know the tech a little more, it, it can be both. It's not a either or, it's a what's the right solution versus, versus you know, how does this work? Yeah, and I, I'll speak to that, and I'll also speak to one of the questions I see in the in the Zoom chat here too. The um, 
it, it, you're absolutely right. Like there are some scenarios that people look at and they say, that's exactly the problem we have. Let's work on that. But more often than not, there's a kind of a vocabulary that's unique to an organization of what people call things. And those are tells that it's not, it's not plausible. If you think about my term, the plausibility, would I be yep. having this conversation this way? Those are the things that because we don't use pure AI, we do use a lot of AI to drive the system, as you'll see. But the, the very fact that we have a human in the loop behind the scenes in our simulation specialist allows us to customize the vocabulary to to work um, to work at this. And to the question in the in the chat about how much has this been exacerbated by the digital world, there's no question that um, that tech, a lot of our clients come to us saying that we've lost a lot of the human touch by virtue of this communication. And one of our advisory board members, Jeremy Balenson, has really written a lot. He saw, runs the um, virtual reality and human interaction lab at Stanford about what, what, what we're now calling Zoom fatigue, that there is, you work harder to be in Zoom for eight hours a day than you do casually in a social environment. We're actually doing a lot, just helping people lead through this kind of a difficult time right now because we are stressing the ability to connect as humans. Yeah. Well, and I think this is where a lot of times where I, I say it's about doing digital right, right? It's not so much choosing tech over not tech. It's about figuring out how to use it well, because the way I've seen it is technology can either be extremely humanizing or extremely dehumanizing, depending on the application of it. And when you use it well, you think of AI, AI, I think a lot of times people think of automation and AI as this dehumanizing thing. But when you look at it as an application to personalization, by being able to assess an individual's current state, their current capacity, their mental state, and being able to tailor what they need based on their personal needs, now that suddenly becomes an extremely humanizing technology when it's done well. And I think that's that's what we're, we're, we're getting at. Now, I do want to jump because we just talked about what this looks like. And, and last time we did this, but we didn't get a chance to do it. So that's the next stage I want to go into here. So, Jamie, if you can get ready to cue that up. But before we do, the one question that I do want to tackle real quick from Renee is talking about, right, is, is what we're talking about in terms of these, I call them micro experiences, right? It's, it's a micro experience that you can have to actually apply some of this knowledge and then learn, right? You apply it, you reflect, you get feedback, and then you apply it again, right? It's this it's this cyclical thing that you're doing. And to Renee's question, is this something that you recommend for e-learning checkpoints as well? I think it's one of those things where you say, you look at the whole learning experience and you say, right, there's there might be some components of digital content, there might be some components of collaboration, and then there might be some components of this of this kind of micro experience. I think it's less of a, hey, let's replace everything with digital experiences and more of an augmentation. Is that a fair? Totally, I totally agree with that. Like, I think, um, I think what you're gonna find five, 10 years from now is that in the same way as video became ubiquitous as a component of e-learning, simulation is gonna become ubiquitous, but it's not gonna, it's gonna be a complement to other things. You still need to, 
you still need content and you still need real world representations of what things look like in video, but the ability to kind of in, in between the content and the real world example to get into an environment where you you're in the flight simulator, you actually get to fly the plane and see whether or not you've read the manual, you've seen the video of people doing it, and now you actually get to go test drive the thing yourself, crash it a few times until you learn how to do it. That experience. Do it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You crash with the avatar so that when you exactly. get in with the real person, the real customer, the real colleague, the real subordinate, like you, you really get it right because that's when it matters. That's when it matters. Okay. So for this next part, I'm going to set this up so everybody knows what to expect here. So for those of you who are in the actual Zoom session, you're going to hear Mark actually interact. He's going to do one of these simulations. So you're going to get to see what's happening. And if you're on the Zoom side, you're going to get to hear the conversation he's having with the Zoom avatar. Because of the the joy of technology, I can't stream that audio into the live stream. So what we're going to do is I'm going to mute myself in Zoom and I'm actually gonna pull it up and I'm gonna kind of narrate what's going on and give kind of a real time input into what that looks like. So Mark, I'm going to mute myself, take my camera off and then pull this up for those of you who are who are here. I'm gonna pull you out, uh, pull this in and then I'm gonna go off on the Mersion side. Okay. So for those of you who are watching live right now, so what, what you're seeing right now is Mark's actually having a live interaction with, with this avatar, right? This is Bennett. So Bennett's sitting here. Um, there is actually a person on the other side, but ben, Bennett is essentially the guide, if you will, who comes in and sets up the stage kind of explains to Mark what's about to happen, explain to him what he's going to be going through. And the situation he's in is, is Linda. You can kind of see on the slide here, you got Linda sitting in the chair. He's going to actually interact with Linda um, and, and have this difficult conversation with her. Now, Bennett's letting her know him know what to expect, how this is going to play out, all this good stuff. And Bennett will also be the main person who then is going to debrief everything. So he's making sure, right, to set the stage that Mark's ready to go. And I'm, I'm kind of listening in here on the side as well. <laughs> he's done this a million times. And it's funny because if you can hear his voice, you can kind of hear he's a little bit nervous about it. Now, from this standpoint, these things are designed, and, and I've gotten to know this tech pretty well. Um, these things are designed to actually be micro experiences. And I talked a little bit about the fact that this is a micro experience. So this is not a two-hour conversation that you're going to have. This isn't a four-hour you know, marathon event. This is what are these most critical components? So as you're seeing you know, uh, Linda here join, Linda's pissed, right? She's mad. She had a bad experience with a colleague in the break room. She's a little angry about what's going on, and Mark's going to have to de-escalate this thing. So very similar to something that, right, as a people leader, you're probably going, you have dealt with where somebody's sitting there, telling you how terrible Bill is or something like that. And you actually have to dig into what's going on. And again, this is the same person on the other side. So hopefully I'm helping kind of clarify the tech side behind it is, you know, Linda is, Linda is Bennett. Bennett is Linda, but what you, what you can't hear that I can, the voice is completely changed. And this is where the technology piece is, is coming in is, the human on the other side, the human in the loop, if you will, is actually 
watching uh, the, the tech is changing. I think it's Jamie, Jamie's voice. So Jamie's voice is actually changing. Sounds like a completely different person. And we'll actually debrief when this situation's done, um, what the experience was like for Mark. Um, and what's funny right now, if you see it, he's he's actually laughing and she called him on it. <laughs> So he's trying to redirect this. You can see her arms actually crossed. She changed. She changed her whole demeanor. Um, her her eyebrows are moving up. I mean, it's a pretty dynamic situation that's happening right now. Um, and it'll be interesting to see. By the way, I'm I'm watching comments. So if you have comments or questions along the way, I can kind of answer what's going on in the narration um, and how this is all working. But he's sitting here talking with with Linda, uh, who, like I said, is Bennett, who's actually Jamie um, on the backside. Um, and what you, if you watch carefully, you'll see the avatars actually will dynamically move, um, will change based on the conversation that is actually happening with Mark. So I'm gonna listen here for one second to see how, how Mark's performing in his difficult conversation with Linda. Okay. So what, basically the scenario is Linda doesn't think she's done anything wrong. Linda's not seeing it. So in terms of the difficulty of the situation, this incident in the break room, um, essentially she had asked somebody to do something. They had kind of passively acknowledged that they would take care of it. Um, and then he didn't, he didn't end up doing it. And she kind of blew up at him is what happened. She blew up at him in the break room. Uh, and now she's coming to Mark saying, right, I did this. I asked him to do this. He didn't do it. I blew up at him and he's still not doing it. And Mark's trying to get to the point that a little bit of self-awareness, he's trying to coach her to some self-awareness around, um, you know, coach some self-awareness around how this is actually playing out and things like that. So I'm listening here. She, she didn't like his response. So he's, he's empathizing. And what's funny is we'll talk a little bit about this on the tech side. Um, it's actually, his camera's actually watching his, his responses and things like that and changing dynamically what's happening. But so Mark's trying to empathize with her right now. And he's trying to, he's trying to very gently tell her that, I don't think I don't think she's too pleased. You can see her eyebrow. Uh, <laughs> he's st he's stammering over his words a little bit. Okay, let's see what happens here because he's starting to ask some more open-ended questions. He was doing a little more telling before. Now he's actually asking open-ended questions. I'm curious. <laughs> okay, so he's asking her to, to kind of reposition how could this have been different? So he's actually asking her to, to go through this and you can see.
She didn't give him a pass early. Now she's having a little more self-realization that maybe the way she exploded in the break room wasn't necessarily the most appropriate way to handle it. Okay, so he's he's giving her some credit, saying he wasn't there. I'm really curious to see, because with Mark, so when I ask him about this, one of the questions I want to ask him when he comes back is, what's it like for him? Because I have to imagine he's gone through this quite a few times, but I can see him on a bigger screen here, and he's he's visibly a little bit uncomfortable <laughs> with the conversation. He was so he's so good with words and he's he's kind of stammering a little bit over his words. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I think I think they're wrapping their conversation in terms of the actual interaction. Then you'll see what happens here. So, right. So Bennett comes in, he sets this thing up. Bennett disappears. Linda jumps. Mark has this conversation. Okay. Okay. So then Linda disappears. And now Bennett's back. And so what Bennett's doing, right, to me, this is one of the components that is, is really critical. So Mark had a chance to go through this secure, right, this safe simulation. He went through this. Um, he had the interaction. And then Bennett came back, and they're actually debriefing now. So Bennett has asked him to reflect on how he felt it went, but not just with a general how do you feel it went. He asked him what are some things that, you think you did well. Um, and then, and what did you, what would you do differently? So he's actually asking him to think a little bit deeper about the experience and reflect back on what happened, how he felt it went, um, what he would do differently in the future, things like that. And then Bennett is now actually delivering some feedback to him as well. So in addition to forcing, you know, Mark to kind of have this intentional reflection on what happened, Bennett's giving feedback to mark on his perception of the experience how did it feel to be linda what did what was the perception on the other end of that so he yeah so now he's asking him what he would change <laughs> so what so i didn't hear this part but apparently one of the things linda was really mad about was this some cat video on the internet and Mark just admitted that it was really hard for him not to bust out laughing when she brought up the cat video thing, which, which was the scene where we said, right. She started laughing at him. Um, and so he's talking about like how to kind of curb his emotions when, when <laughs> I don't know that I could keep it together though. If somebody brought up a cat video, even in the heat of the moment. Okay, and so now 
The thing that's interesting right now is so Bennett, because Bennett is Linda, Bennett is actually describing how Linda may have felt and probably relatively accurately since the character is actually played by the same person on the other end. Okay. And now he's, he's wrapping up. So he is wrapping. I will bring Mark back into the feed. Uh, we're back, Mark. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, um, it's really fascinating. I, I, I do think, you know, as a parent, probably there ought to be a teenager application for this, because if I could role play the conversation I have with my teenagers in those moments, where <laughs> they're better than anybody at knowing how to push your buttons. And so yeah. it's um, it's all I'm always reminded about how we just can't, you know, we, we just have buttons that get pushed. And so it. I'm curious, right? You're, you're CEO of the company. I have to imagine that's not the first time for you going through that. But even watching you, right? I was listening to the side kind of narrating to everybody else what was happening. What was the experience like for you as a part, especially knowing everybody's watching what you're doing? Yeah. I, I mean, it, it it's, you know, it, it, I mean, how many first dates have we all been on and how many times do we blow a first date? The fact, despite the fact that we've been on a first date a bunch of times, like if you think about those awkward moments, you know, that we'd have in life, they, 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 they are what they are. Like the conversations are the conversations. I am familiar that we, we do this kind of scenario. There are a lot of, they all go slightly differently and you still, you, you're just human, you know, and that's why practice matters. I mean, I, I, I this is behavioral fundamentally. And the, if there's anything the science and our own data affirms for us is that if you want to be good at this, um, and I do try because I do lead an organization to be good. But I, I mean, as my colleagues will tell you, I, you know, I'm as human as the next person and you got to work at it. And so you do want to just practice. The great thing about this is that, I mean, I don't know, that took six minutes, maybe. I don't know. We like, you know, six minutes is a good reminder that I got to, it just puts it sort of frontal in your mind that I got to pay attention to this stuff and, um, and then I can get on with my day. So, I mean, one of the things that I'll say, you know, we've done a bunch of research and we've I we have found that we can change people's behavior if we give them you know somewhere between four to six practice sessions on a specific kind of situation and we okay. see it in data in the simulator and to the extent to which we have instrumentation to observe the person performing in the workplace we've seen it in the data whether it's 360 reviews or in education and healthcare we have this practice of, of, of observers observing people behaving and sort of documenting pre and post how people are behaving. And we're seeing real changes in behavior um, that, 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 that result from doing this work. So it does, it does pay off to do it. You know, what's interesting about that is that, you know, when it comes to learning and development, I think one of the big conversations that comes up um, a lot is right. How do we measure the impact of what we're doing? Right? How do we how do we measure the impact of what we're doing? And and to me, behavior change is at the forefront. 
right? I mean, that is the apex of, of what we do is being able to say people used to behave this way and they now behave that way. And we have moved the continuum from point A to point B in a measurable way where we can say this is, this is actually a shift. And I think this is where uh, you know, in terms of the questions that then come from business leaders. So how does that work in an organization in terms of the partnership? To me, it creates a, a really strong forged partnership between the business leaders and the L&D leaders because it's, it's you have shared skin in the game, right? Because as an L&D expert, I may have some input on what behaviors we might want to affect, what behaviors we think we might want to target. But ultimately, I have to rely on the business leaders to say, you know your business, right? You know your business better than I do. So if you tell me we need to get all our people to behave more like this because it's going to have X, Y, Z impact on the guy, I have to trust that you know those behaviors well. And so then there's this forged partnership of, okay, I trust you're telling me these are the behaviors you need to move. I, as the L&D expert, can focus on how do we get those behaviors to move. We now work together to collaboratively solve a problem, which to me is is fantastic. And that's not, I mean, that's not just immersion thing, but I think this is that whole behavior piece that we need to tie together. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and there are, I mean, if you think about the ways you get evidence that you're doing the right thing as an L&D leader, I mean, I'll give you sort of three ways we've we find our partners looking at it. First, if you ask people just for, to assess their self-efficacy, like how confident are you that you can do this well? People tend to be really honest. Like, I'm not sure I know what to do in that circumstance. They'll tell you as a leading indicator that they don't feel confident that they can handle some of these tougher conversations. And one of the things we see very quickly um, is that people start to honestly say, I, I do feel some confidence that I can do it. And that's the first, that's a leading indicator. That's not necessarily a summative indicator. The next indicator obviously is we do actually have ways of, of assessing that folks achieved it in simulation which is we give people feedback along those lines and we're pretty good at, at, at getting that right. But then, you know, we, we, or we work with our clients to actually collect the data on whether it's showing up in net promoter scores around customer success um, and are people interacting with customers really differently and do we see that? And we now have clients doing A-B studies where they give everybody a baseline of training and then they have some people experience the immersion practice on simulation and some not. We just did this with H&R Block in the big run up to tax season. Okay. And we actually cut the dissatisfaction scores of H&R Block folks in half by virtue of putting them through a regimen of these practice routines. They've had a steady state of a relatively small number of customers who go through their experience um, that come away dissatisfied. It, it, it is. It was a truly a small number, but it was a number they cared about, and it, yeah. and it has a material impact on their bottom line. And in the A/B test they did with us, that the the immersion folks who went through this literally had twice as uh, they cut their dissatisfactory score in half. They were okay. twice as effective with that group, if you will. Now, the um, thing you, you bring up about that, though, that I think is important to remember in the L&D spaces, right? They set out to solve a problem first, right? <laughs> there was a targeted problem they were setting out to solve, not, hey, we found this really cool tech stuff. Let's We've got a hammer. Let's go find some nails we can try and knock in, right? And I think that's 
that's where it's critical that with with this emerging tech, you know, I think some of these things, we have to be so careful that we don't chase the razzle dazzle for the sake of razzle dazzle, but to say, hey, what what is a core behavioral problem we are trying to fix? And once we've identified that, you know, it's there's no shortage of work that goes into it. Now, on the merging end, I'm curious how you manage helping some organizations through that. Because I can say, having sat in the L&D seat, going to an organization sometimes or going to a leader and saying, I hear you're saying this is a problem. We need to, we need to break that down a little bit more because we need to understand what's actually going, going on in there. Because I'm sure you could build immersion simulation that would do absolutely nothing for an organization. It would have the potential to do that. So how does that work? So uh, it's a it's a really good question. I mean, the I, I, I um, our folks tend to um, they do tend to have a specific problem in mind that uh, there's a leadership initiative, for example, they have no idea how it's going. Um, the, this whole area of giving feedback to employees, which, you know, there's a, in the literature, there's a lot of credit to the way in which the, the top companies in America are thinking about it. When you really ask them how confident that they are, that their folks know how to do it, they shrug their shoulders and say, we've never given them a chance to measure. And we never, we never see it in the moment. And, we hear that it isn't going well when we do our surveys of our employees. So simply creating the opportunity to practice and identifying the circumstances where it can go awry. I mean, we do that in an iterative fashion. We design these scenarios where we will literally, we put people through a protocol where they identify when it goes wrong, where does it go wrong from what you know from your own data. We try to, we have to manifest what that looks like for people to say, yes, I think to the extent to which we have data, it looks like that when it goes wrong. And then we, then there's a, a tricky part where how how much challenge do you actually want us to present? I mean, if you go back to what I just did with Linda, Linda didn't go, she didn't go nuclear at me, but <laughs> might, but, but it does happen, right? It we does. do things. So how as an L&D leader, do you, how much do you want to sort of raise the bar in the degree of difficulty? And then there are these sensitive issues about what is the which avatar does that like okay. you you have all these sensitivities around gender race ethnicity yep. all of the issues around who do you choose to be the most difficult and those so there it is a complex design process to make sure you're attending to all of those things well okay well it's it's interesting because last friday i was talking with Austin Welsh and Richard Froming from Sage Media. We were talking about this whole, we were talking about video, right? Creating video, but the same applies here to a scenario where you really need to be intentional and thoughtful about who is your audience, what is the message you're trying to convey, and what is the way you're looking to actually drive that. And I think the same is true for a scenario. You can't just create a blanket, well, this is how it's going to play out, which the ability to flip between those things has to make that easier to be able to dynamically respond to it, correct? Yeah, and and also to revise it when the data says we're missing, the, we might be missing the mark. Um, I, it is interesting to me how sensitive a lot of big companies take this, um, and they they just want people to start talking 
I, they, they have a, I mean, we have a lot of work to do as a culture to build the world that we want to live in. And, 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 and the workplace can do some amount of that. I mean, it obviously, these conversations continue outside of the workplace. Where businesses ultimately have a bottom line to attend to, but you're finding that there are brands that are based on tolerance. I, one of the real, I think, exemplary partners that we have is T-Mobile. And if, if T-Mobile has a whole philosophy around being a place where the customer is not a data plan, but they're a human being. So if you walk into a T-Mobile store, you're, you have an expectation that they have spent millions and millions, tens of millions of dollars in their brand investing in that leads you to an expectation that I am not just a data plan when I walk in. Yep. They have raised a bar around which they must show empathy with every person that they interact with, regardless of their problems, their sophistication, their background, what have you. That's a high bar and people are, they're betting their brand on it. I admire them for going there. I respect them and I, and they, I, I love working with them because they take it seriously. Like they want to walk the walk and yeah. it's really fun to work with people because it is hard. I mean, you know, weird things happen in life and you got to be ready for those challenges. And it's great to work with people that are trying to, trying to take that head on. I, I agree. I agree. And I think it's it's a bold move, right? And you have to, for this to work, you have to take it beyond, you know, a, a poster on the wall or, you know, a, a company tagline. It really needs to become a, a corporate strategy and, and part of the lifeblood of the organization. So yeah. on the on the tech standpoint, I have, I have two kind of follow up questions because I knew we were going to run out of time, but who knows? Maybe I'll just talk the rest of the afternoon, Mark. <laughs> um, but on the on the topic of technology, and then I want to get to this failure piece because I think it's an important one. Just, just technically, somebody asked this, and it's a, it's a fair question, and it goes back to the application of technology for humanizing or dehumanizing. I think this whole scenario type thing, like will we end up just talking to AI bots and things like that, I think the human in the loop piece is, is really critical. But in terms of the application of technology, somebody had asked this, and it would make logical sense to me was, you know, could AI be used to then help determine based on who the user is that you're working with, or even dynamically as the situation, could it help make decisions so that human in the loop has a better capability to know how to adapt, um, whether it's the characters, whether it's to adapt the conversation, things like that. Is that something that you're exploring or that you actually are using AI to do today? Because to me, that would be an application of AI that would make that conversation not only more impactful, but also more humanizing. Yeah, I mean, you could do AI. So let's go back to the things that AI could do. Like um, AI could have read that conversation and based on something I did, cause an external interruption that I don't trigger that, that some, so for example, Lee could have stormed into the room right then. Okay. Um, and said, I heard you guys were meeting about me. Why can't I be part of the conversation? That, that, and, and, and boom, we're in something that's, that's unpredictable. <clears throat> we do a lot, um, 
um, we do a lot with uh, food service workers and on the front lines. And you can have, you know, you're spending so much time with a customer. There's a long line of people by virtue of the amount of time our conversation is going. Something happens Nobody over there. <laughs> and AI can make all of that stuff happen because it, it, AI in the pursuit of situational plausibility is really powerful. What AI can't yet do, as far as we know, and I I get called, we, we're partners with folks at the MIT Media Lab, and they, you know, I got a call the other day. We got a new, we got a new engine that we want to show you. It cannot replace the intuition and the general intelligence and the spoken dialogue that real humans do. And there's a big debate about whether it will ever do that anytime soon. That spontaneity, humans are best for, and that's where we put the human in our system. Um, but, but lots of other things about the experience and freeing the human to be human in the role play right. and to manifest the behaviors and read the other person, which is what they're doing behind the scenes, is critically important. Yeah. Well, and that, that again, I think, is where the, the technology can augment the human to be almost a superhuman to create a more dynamic and authentic experience by reading the person better and more effectively than, you know, in, in many ways we could with the speed. Yeah. So I think that's a, that's a fair point on that one. Um, and then the other one is this failure threshold, because I think this is something, and, you know, we, we have to, again, handle things so delicately with it, because again, people are, everybody's different. I think sometimes it's so easy to kind of paint everybody with the same brush stroke as well. This type of person's this way or, you know, whatever. We can make these generalizations. And the reality is humans are extremely dynamic and extremely fragile with, with some of these things. So how do you work, not necessarily just with an organization on that level of failure, but on a personal level with that? Because I have to imagine on the SIM side, the specialist they can start to see when the person's maybe getting a little bit too, right? They need to pull the like, stop, I'm, I'm struggling here. Or I'm, I'm getting a little bit, I'm being pushed too far. Yeah. How do you do that to encourage, because I'm a big advocate of we need to push more failure. We yeah. need people to struggle. If, if they're, if everybody's getting a trophy, they're not getting better. And I think yeah. we need to do that, but we need to do that carefully and yeah. securely so that people feel that it's a comfortable environment. So how, does that happen to ensure you don't you don't set somebody off because you just pushed them too hard? We, I mean, it's really it's a good question, and it's an art, not a science, at this point. I mean, we um, we we do we organize sessions in a long enough period of time that you can do two. You get two goes. Often you get you get a replay, and sometimes we'll we'll push to that point where they are failing. But if we keep pushing, they're gonna they're gonna you really withdraw and get right and withdraw and we pause we hit pause we get we have bennett the the facilitator come back reflect with them a little bit and and invite them to get a do-over it's a game after all right okay. it's a simulation it's not real life this is what you want is let's pause let's go back sometimes we'll just go back to that moment sometimes we'll completely get a do-over and, and 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 the goal is to have people experience enough failure to want to go back and practice again and then come back and 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 accomplish it and then bring them back and dial it up a little bit more it's it's sort of the same thing we know from you know any kind of training that you, you know, you do have to feel the burn a little bit and you. feel the burn to get the growth. But the burn, if the burn kills you, you abandon the program, right? So it's the same thing in this kind of stuff. And and our folks, you know, they're, they're first of all, 
you know, they're, they're really well trained. They come to us with a lot of training and we do a lot of work around developing their empathy. Their goal, unlike some pure machine, is to make you succeed. So they're calibrating the resistance as best they can okay. to get the burn without the withdrawal, basically. Okay. And that, and that makes sense in terms of how that would pull together. Cause I think it is an important note. And to me, it's one of the biggest concerns I have with going to a full AI solution is the fact that machines make decisions based on patterns, right? I mean, they just, there, there isn't that empathy going into it. And so the risk is there isn't the dynamic nature. So in essence, you could rerun that sim simulation and it wouldn't be the same even with Linda right now, because of the fact that dynamically, that is being adapted and modified based on Linda's ability to read. How are you handling it? You know, are you stammering? Are you going too far? Well, and one of the things I use the term uh, multi-exemplar training at the beginning. And, and one of the things that the sort of research has taught us and our own data confirms is that um, it's good to have the next time you do it, you might have Frank instead of Linda, but even more important, um, the next time you do it, you might have, um, Josephine and not Jamie behind it Be because the human behind the avatar matters as much as the avatar that yeah, you're interacting with. Sure. The avatar, to the extent to which we all have unconscious biases, the avatar will trigger the unconscious bias I might have, but the human will trigger, behind the avatar will trigger the personality that comes through when my unconscious bias may or may not be at play also. So you're mixing and matching these different variables that are very much what real life is like. You know, the one thing we are not doing is stereotyping either the 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 situation or the training that you're supposed like this is not an eight-step program to always lean in when you want to connect to somebody <laughs> or always cross your arms when you're upset you know we life is much more nuanced than that yeah. people are much more complicated and and multi, the whole idea of multi-exemplar is that w the pe books are and cover you know don't judge the book by the cover you may get a very different person behind the physicality of what you're interacting with and, and listen for that and pay attention to that. Well, and the thing you, you bring up with that, that can be a little bit uncomfortable that I think we need to get more comfortable with is that can sound intimidating, I think, to an organization or an L&D function to say, but, but we won't know everything. We won't know, you know how everything goes. And the reality is, that's okay. If anything, that's a good thing because that's not real life. We can't map anything with real life. And I think sometimes we get uncomfortable with the unknown of, well, what are we going to do? Because we, we won't know this, you know, every single detail. And it's like, right. Just like you don't it, with literally anything involving people. So I think that's, that's a bit of a mindset shift that yeah. you have to get into. And I'm sure you've had to work with organizations to help them through that because that's, that's probably not the natural tendency was to say, I get it. It's going to be a little bit kind of flexible. Sounds yeah. good. Yeah. I mean, if there's anything we're hearing in the world around us today, it's messy work, but it's important work and life is messy, but people yeah. value the opportunity to get into it, do it in a safe way, get some practice so that they, they feel better about themselves. They, 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 they feel like they're making the change that they believe in and, and it, it, it contributes to your self-efficacy. Perfect. Well, that this has been great. I know we're right at the top of the hour, so I'll be sensitive of time here. But, um, you know, I think the the piece that 
you hit on at the end that I would just reinforce to everybody watching is that this is messy work, right? People are messy. We're, we're, we're messy, confusing, complicated creatures, but it's important work and we can't steer away from it just because it's complicated or just because it's difficult. And I think the more we can do to bring that together and have technology help us accomplish it, the better. So this has been fantastic. Thanks everybody, all the comments coming in um, on the live stream and in Zoom. Hopefully we got as many questions answered as possible. Mark, always a pleasure to chat with you. I'm glad we were able to do this again uh, and and make it work, right? We we did a, we, we tested failure and uh, we, we made it happen. So thanks for the time. Thank you, Chris. It's great to be with you. I love having these conversations. Thanks for the time. All right. Thanks. Thanks, everybody.